Today on Sagittarian Matters, Drag Race, Drag Race UK, conspiracy theories, strong opinions on vaccine line jumpers, and more. With Magic Hour Astrology's Brandy Taylor. Stay tuned. Sagittarian Matters Social Distancing Studios in Los Angeles, California. Listeners, I have eaten way too many homemade cookies this evening, so I must keep this intro brief because I feel queasy. As we round the bend on a year into quarantine, and as my work has not really ceased amidst this year of quarantine, I have been really clinging to entertainment and any entertainment that, quote, sparks joy. I want to tell you a few things I'm enjoying. One is the audiobook for Detransition Baby by Tori Peters. I also loved Michelle T's most recent episode of Your Magic with Roxanne Gay. And I have been deep, deep in a sports-like trance following RuPaul's Drag Race. Drag Race US, Drag Race UK, I love them both. I also love watching The Pit Stop with Trixie Mattel. I've been enjoying Purse First Impressions with Bob the Drag Queen. I am in it. I am in at least one bet on who the winners are going to be for Drag Race US. And I was so happy that friend of the show Brandy, who was like the ultimate drag fan of all kinds of drag for all time, that Brandy agreed to come on the show to talk about both iterations of Drag Race. We got together to talk in particular about Drag Race UK, but we couldn't help but talk for quite a while about on our opinions about Drag Race US, which is still ongoing. It's the longest season that's ever existed. Um, this this show, it might be like one of those shows that tracks children from the day they're born until when they're 25. Uh, that's how I feel about this season of Drag Race US. Anyway. Brandy joined us, and I was so happy that not only did we get to talk about the show and some of the big moments from this year, but also I got to share my conspiracy theories about Tamisha Iman, Candy Muse, Tina Burner, and more. But first, as we are in the midst of a variety of vaccine eligibilities across the nation, we answer a listener's question about how to respond when they discover that a friend has hopped the vaccine line. Yikes. I hope you have a great week. I hope you enjoy this episode of the show. Please tip producer Chris if you enjoy it. And if you have any drag race opinions you want us to know, go to our Instagram page at Sagittarian Matters on Instagram. That's one G, two T's. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you soon. Brandy Taylor is a very special Sagittarius, a lover of drag, and the witch behind Magic Hour Astrology. Brandy joined me from her magic studio in Portland, Oregon. You can find her, buy candles, and schedule an intuitive reading at magichourastrology.com or find her on Instagram. Now please enjoy my talk with very special Sagittarius friend to the show, Brandy Taylor. Dear Sagittarian Matters, what do I do if I discover that my friend wants to jump the vaccine line? 
or has jumped the vaccine line from vexed in Vermont. Oh, the problem of our times, my friend. I mean, this is really, this is one a, a real bone I like to pick here. Let's ground this in reality. So we are recording this in March of 2021. In California, people 65 and older, frontline workers and teachers of all stripes and farm workers, agriculture workers are starting to be able to get their vaccines as are people who work at grocery stores. I know of a few fake codes that have gone around here in LA. We could talk about it in a second, but what are Portland standards right now? Uh, Portland right now we're doing, um, we're a little lacking in vaccine right now. So we're at 65 and over, we're at 1B. And um, that means that, you know, everyone obviously 65 and over can get the vaccine if they want, but right now we're low. So we're, they're doing a lottery for 65 and over. So if <sighs> sign up and then they will be able to pick your name, et cetera. We're not quite yet. We're soon, I, I believe the next, when we get vaccine next, we'll open up to agricultural workers, people who are in a correctional facility or work in correctional facilities um, and uh, people who are 45 and up who have some specific pre-existing conditions. Okay, so if people are unfamiliar, what's been happening is, and I'm just, I'm giving all this context before we even tell this person what they should do, because it's good idea. But the context is this has happened here multiple times in LA and I know it's happened in Portland. So in LA, a code was going around and one of my friends got the code. Somebody said, Hey, here's this code. And if you fall, if you use it, you can get these unused vaccines. And my friend who's not in any of those groups who got it from another white queer person who's not in any of those groups was like, where, like a, you know, like a white middle-class-ish person uh, young enough to not be in those groups was like, where did you get this code? And the person was like, oh, it's just for unused vaccines. I don't know. And my friend was like, I don't think this is correct. And then the next day, she didn't use it. The next day, the LA Times had a story out that basically was like all these black churches and neighborhoods of black and brown people got codes so because they were, you know, not able to access vaccines, um, you know, like just to, to increase accessibility, these codes were given out. And then somehow some rich white people from other neighborhoods got them and were circulating them amongst each other. Rich white people from like the West side from Beverly Hills were circulating them. And somehow that had trickled down to my friend who was like, that doesn't seem right. So she didn't get it. The same thing happened in Portland. Somebody I know and love got a code for a vaccine where someone said, hey, it's for unused vaccines. Everyone told each other what they thought they needed to know to, in order to do it. And then my friend went, she's like, well, why are they telling me I can plan it two weeks in advance if it's for an unused vaccine? And so she called OHSU and they said, oh, no, no, that somebody hacked the system. That is like the page after you prove that you are eligible. Like you got the, you got a link that kind of just like busted you through the next, to the next step. And so she didn't use it either. Wow. I mean, this is, I will say I'm looking forward to, you know, in 20 years when Jen, whatever is going to be in college and they do like the ethics and economics of COVID-19 college course, because this is next level. And I, and I think that like, 
the fact that that white able-bodied you know white people especially who have resources and can also stay home and don't have to work outside of the home are taking vaccine especially on a code that was made or designed for um people of color is so gross that is that makes my stomach turn it is so gross and it's like prime american let's be real so i will say that the I want everyone to get a vaccine. Of course you should get a vaccine. Everybody should get a vaccine. If you're offered a vaccine, take a fucking vaccine. Here's the problem. You're not offered a vaccine if you're using a code that like circumvents the protocol for who's available for the vaccine. And I know a lot of people who have also volunteered to get the vaccine, fine, that's fine. I feel like that's fine. But people who just hop the line to get the vaccine, I like, I really have a bone to pick with you because I do not understand why. It's, this, I'm talking to, I'm not talking to people of color. I'm really not. If you're a person of color and you want the vaccine, I actually don't give a fuck. I have no, I, have, I don't feel like I have anything to say about that as a white person. So <clears throat> fellow white people jumping the line, please don't do that. Please don't do that. I think about it as like, Right now, I know my friend whose mom is 80 with dementia cannot get a fucking appointment because they're all used up and they have not picked her lottery number. Like, I just like, I think about that, that person and I'm just like, why would I get the vaccine before her? I literally work in the backyard of where I live. My studio is a, is a wonderful little cottage behind my house. Yes, I have a pre-existing condition, but I, I'm able-bodied enough to be able to function in the world. I do not have to leave my house. And like, those should be the protocols. Like when my turn is up, yes, I wish it was sooner because I wanna feel protected from COVID and I'm still scared about it, especially with people with things opening up and you know, um, things loosening around the country around protocols. Um, but I just have to be really vigilant about like taking care of myself. And it makes me really bummed out when able-bodied white people are getting the vaccine and are kind of willy-nilly about it. That is like, I just feel like it's completely unethical. I gave a full TED talk to Kaya the other day, just a full in bed, before bed, just a full TED talk. Just, you know, basically like, imagine me with my headset mic, just walking three, the three points around the room, just pointing to an imaginary screen, just being like, all you people that said Black Lives Matter, everybody who was like, believes that they're like believes that it that like everything Trump was doing for immigrants was wrong and that like a but like we are like in the midst of watching people be murdered in different ways through our country through racism what are you doing hopping the line yeah. what are you doing and like not only it's ageist it's ableist it's classist but it's so fucking racist that it is like, I just, it curls my tail. You know, I know that scientists say, okay, everybody should get a vaccine. At the end of the day, everyone needs to get one, but like, and I know that the, it's, it's too bad that there's a hunger games mentality or that the United States has led us to this point, but here we are at this point. There's just, I just, I, I could go off on it forever, but, um, I really think of it as such an intersectional issue and it is wild to see people flagrantly even speak to their friends, even speak aloud 
if they've received an ill-gotten vaccine, to mm -hmm. even say that anywhere is. I mean, now I see pictures of people with the vaccine, like I got my vaccine, but if you are knowingly jumping the line, it is something that like, I just feel like is just like, I don't know how you are going about your day and sleeping at night because it feels completely like a more a morality problem. It feels like the kind of like, well, my life is more important than other people's lives. If yeah, and if I you just, knew about that that, uh, that appointment, you could have given it to maybe your neighbor who lives in like a multi generational household and isn't maybe not a white person or advocate for getting those appointments to people who really need the need the appointment. Yeah. So listeners, this is our listener. What do you, so what do you do if your friend jumps the line? Do you say something? Uh, I think you ask, ask questions like, how did you get the appointment? Wow. You know, wow. I mean, a lot of people who I've asked that question to have volunteered, which I think is great. That's a great way to get the vaccine sooner. Sign mm -hmm. up to volunteer. And um, if people say like, oh, well, you know, I just, I just went, I would just educate them. You know, you took a spot from people who actually it is their time to get the vaccine and they are unable to have an appointment because there's not enough vaccine. Did you know that? Did you know that there's people who are waiting on the lottery call to get the vaccine who really need it? And maybe they don't know. And if they do know, you know, maybe um, just telling them how you don't think that's a very ethical and we all want it and trying to like empathize. Like I want it so bad. I want that vaccine so bad. Let me tell you, Woo! but I'm going to wait until I can actually get it. Cause that feels like what's within like my like alignment as a fucking person and a human. Mm -hmm. So I think it's hard. I think it's, you know, it's a question of like, what do you say if someone says, Hey, I found this link is, you know, really inquire and then be like, where did, what are you going to do? What do you think you're going to do? I've had friends say, what do you think I should do? And then I've been able to say, well, I think that I, you know, I think that that, that vaccine needs to go to that neighborhood that it's allotted to. I mean, especially, I mean, I, I, I don't know what the deal is with Portland right now. So I can't speak to that. You're speaking to it beautifully, but I know in LA when you're driving to a poor neighborhood, that is like, historically immigrants and people of color who live in multi-generational households and people that cannot, that work like they're essential workers that have to work jobs and you drive to that neighborhood to take a spot. I really don't, I think that you need to leave those spots for that neighborhood. Even if they're unused shots, let somebody else who lives in that neighborhood get that unused shot at the end of the day. So that's what I would say to that. If somebody says I already got one, I don't know what you say. This is the, the pickle of now. I mean, the, basically you can't unsee. So it's basically, what would you do in any situation if your friend did something that you found so unconscionable in one way or another that you can't unsee it? Mm. Yeah, that, that, that is hard. I think that like, I think, I mean, for me around the vaccine, I, I feel like I need to talk about it. And then at some point you might have to let it go because if you're talking to it and you're talking to the person and they're just like, I did this, it's not, you know, I, it's over. I don't know. You might be trying, you might be sort of wasting your breath at that point. I think if you have a chance to like circumvent it before it happens, you have a lot more options. I think if the friend already got the vaccine and you think it's unethical, like I feel like, I don't really feel like 
there's that much you can do besides just tell them how you think it's unethical. Today's episode is brought to you by Emily Helmus, Zoe Wirth, Laura Perry, Demetra Halutsos, Shoshana Ruth Wachter, Christy Herod, and Joey Soloway. If you would like to support Sagittarian Matters, in particular, producer Chris Sutton, please send $5, $5 million, that's your business, to hornetleg at gmail.com on PayPal. That's hornet like the insect, leg like its appendage at gmail. Or this just in, he's got a Venmo, Hell Books on Venmo. That's H-E, double hockey sticks, books. Thank you for your support, and we look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it too. Don't be scared. That's just Ponyo's speaking voice. Are you ready, Brandy, to talk about something else? Are you, ready? Sure. Are you ready to talk about the sports of our people? <laughs> we talk about sports. We rarely talk about sports on this podcast, but we're here today to talk about the current concurrent seasons of RuPaul's Drag Race, America and UK. Hello. That's right. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Much better. <laughs> okay, listeners, stay tuned. I know some of you don't even watch Drag Race at all. Brandy, do you think Drag Race is making fun of women? I know somebody who I love, but who forbids Drag Race in her household because she thinks that it's making fun of women. I, I, I couldn't agree less. <laughs> I couldn't agree less. Guess what? Anybody? Okay. So insert soapbox, will you? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Anybody who has a bone to pick with what a woman is and how to make fun of a woman or not a woman when you're talking about like things that are queer or things that are in the LGBTQ spectrum, I think I just like, I think we need to get off of that soapbox and off of that, who defines a woman? What is a woman? What is femininity? What is making fun of? What is paying homage to womanhood? Because womanhood can look like a lot of different things. And sometimes drag queens are women and sometimes they're not. And to me, the art of drag is like the pinnacle of like celebrating like what femininity looks like and feels like from so many different lenses. To me, it feels like it just like exalts like um, quote unquote woman or femme, I guess, into this like other realm of like total divinity and like complete like pleasure, humor, um, art. And I, I could, I think that it does women and femmes like a total fucking celebratory service and I wish more cis women and other any other woman would if they have a problem with drag race would hopefully like and I should say drag drag race is, is its own thing but drag in general I think is I just I love it so much and I think that any I think I feel like so awesome as a femme person to watch femininity on that type of uh screen i feel like a better person for watching it 
It has enriched my life. It has introduced me to a world of characters, a world of camp. It's made me feel connected to queer cult, like the queer cultural historical arc and narrative of references, of historical moments, of fashion moments. Of I just have met so many fun characters. Fun, I feel like my mom. I met so many fun characters through that show, but those gals are real fun. Okay. I think we should briefly talk about Drag Race US before we talk about why Drag Race UK is much much better. Um, here's where we are. There's many spoilers to behold, but you know what? Studies have shown that people don't actually mind spoilers. If they know how a movie ends, it doesn't make them not watch the movie. Oh, interesting. This is something I've read. At me if you need to. Remember, remember on America's Next Top Model, Tyra had that moment where she's like, I was rooting for you to a girl that had disappointed her and she screamed at her. RuPaul had that this season. Oh boy, she did. Can you describe what happened? Well, it was a challenge, a girl group challenge. And one of the queens who was a returning to the competition queen who got eliminated week one, who was like a sort of a burlesque type, um, smoking jacket type piano bar type queen, um, was in the girl group challenge, very out of her element. Let's be real. They're like, kind of like, you know, maybe more, more into like a 1920s, 1940s speakeasy kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Not Joe Black's type of forte pop music, but they were in a girl group challenge singing a song and she was wearing a cute outfit, whatever. I didn't think anything about it. And then later when it came to judging, RuPaul was like, what, what were you wearing? And it asked her what she was wearing. And they said how cheap and shitty it looked. And she said, it looked like you got it from high street or wherever she said. And then Joe Black whispered kind of side of her mouth said, H&M. And, and Rupe lost her fucking mind. Her facelift just went south. She turned into some devil horns. And she said- That outfit off the rack was a huge disappointment to me. I don't want to see any fucking H&M. It was an iconic moment and I was shooketh. I was definitely shooketh. I was also thinking, I can't wait to see how H&M spins this because I was like, what about some free publicity for H&M? Jesus Christ. I was like, H&M is like provide, I mean, whatever. Sometimes I haven't been there in a long time, but I'm sure they have some sequins laying around that are cute. But woo, RuPaul does not want to see that. She wants some bespoke. She needs some made to measure. She does not want to see any high street or no other mall drag, period. No, I I mean, these are the moments. I We all know that RuPaul has a lot of recovery, a lot of meditation, a lot of serenity under her belt. But when that facade cracks a little bit or when you get to see why she has so much fucking yoga and recovery, when she just like lets loose with like, hey, what part of a lip sync do you not understand? Take off the mask. Like when she goes there, you're like, oh. <gasps> I agree. I mean, that was like a violation of the rules of the show. Like it's season nine, get it together. You should know what this- When Valentina tried to lip sync with a damn mask over her face. I mean, and she talked back. She said, I'd prefer not to take it off. She said, I like to keep it on, please. <gasps> Yeah, no, but, but that's an obvious violation of the rules of the show, really. But this one was like, I don't like your outfit. And then once you confirm that it's che- quote unquote cheap, I'm going to just ream you for not doing enough. I just thought that was like, yikes. 
I mean, you know, I think she's a point of being like, you've been gone for seven months. Now you're back and you wear an H&M dress. The one time you have to impress me, that sucks, but it sucks for her. I don't think she needs to go off the handle about how much she hates H&M. <laughs> well, it's basically like, even if, if you or I were going on drag race, we're not even drag queens. Like, you know, I know that it's, you know, there's something there's something fucked up about the fact that drag race is at such a level right now that people are just like maxing out credit cards, getting in so much debt, getting custom-made garments. And then people, you know, like Gottmik, who comes from kind of an upper-class background, who has all these relationships, designers, that's all this designer stuff. And they're like, oh, great designer stuff. I understand that that's fucked up. But also you could teach yourself to sew. There's lots of things you can do. There's a lot of variations you can do to garments that are not custom made for you and going to the damn mall and getting an off the rack dress is not something I would do for RuPaul's drag race as a civilian, let alone as a drag queen. Yeah, agree. And if you're going to do that, like there's ways to subvert it or, you know, and she, you know, I understand like, you know, cut it, cut it up, turn to something else, embellish it, do something else, add a sleeve, take off a thing, whatever, like customize it for you. But, you know, I think she just, she just, she wanted to make sure that that was abundantly clear how much she did not want any off the rack on that runway. Oh my God. And to compare that to the judges, like ambient response to Tina Burner coming out there and her like 1990s Ronald McDonald wear, it boggles it's, the mind. I will say Tina Burner, even the, wor- the worst look of hers that I saw was that stupid jester Mardi Gras person. But <laughs> even on that, which was a, the most hideous outfit of all time, not of all time, but really almost. almost, even that had like two reveals, even though they were fucking stupid. They were like, <laughs> it was like she tried, she, she was trying and I think Joe Blackett was like, you're not trying. The lack of, yeah. the lack of um, care and like, it's almost RuPaul saying like, you know, why'd you come in here looking like that? I am a god. <laughs> I also like, don't you understand, do you, like, do you even know who I am? It was one of her like diva moments. Of being, like she was insulted. You insulted RuPaul. That's right. She was insulted that you would even dare to wear some like peasant garb to her royal party. And I, she's got a fair point there. I mean, sometimes just like, don't waste my time. Also, I mean, she is like, you're on TV, like do better. So there's a standard. There's a standard that's been reinforced by the fandom and et cetera, et cetera. So also she's an Emmy winning uh, host who wants to make sure her show is, has a high level of fashion and drag. So she's one last off the rack shit. This, this feels like it was two years ago, but remember when Lala Ree came out wearing like, just like maybe like 14 gift bags glued to a corset? Let me tell you, I love Lala Ree as a queen. I thought she was <laughs> awesome. She would have stayed longer, but that was literally the worst out of 13 <laughs> all the stars plus all the international seasons. That was the worst, the worst. I'm going to go quote unquote outfit. That wasn't really an outfit but to walk down the runway I've ever seen. You know what? They have 10 hours to make their garment. They have 10 <laughs> hours, Nicole. 10 hours. And you stuck fucking 15 gift bags to a to a corset and then put a, uh, opened up a purse and had <laughs> like a hat? What are you thinking, girl? What are you thinking? Wow. And then she won a lip sync in that. She won. She didn't even get eliminated. 
<laughs> well, guess what? She's a talented queen. She deserved to win that lip sync turned it, but I probably would have been lending, lending her on the spot for that outfit. I'll be honest. I would have been like, I don't need to hear the lip sync. You're out. Double elimination. You're out. Who was up next? <laughs> so bad. It was so bad. Okay. Drag Race US, where we're at as of this day of our Lord, Wednesday, March 10th. What's happening right now is Drag Race US has still so many contestants. You know, it's, I'm, I'm going to call it the longest season of Drag Race ever. I know that is officially the longest season of Drag Race ever. By now, for instance, by now in season eight of Drag Race, we had already crowned a winner. So oh, wow. just so you know, and I have a theory of why it's so long. I want to know your highlights, lowlights of this season. And I want to hear your theory. Can I tell you my theory of why it's so long? Yeah. What's, what's your theory? My theory is they've sunk so much money into COVID production, like COVID protocol production, that they're trying to get the most out of these queens as they can because they, they kept them separate in their hotel, quarantine in their hotels. They have expanded the workroom so there's more space. There's so much testing. Everybody, you know, they have like kind of just a stable of judges they keep pulling from. There's so much plastic barrier everywhere. I just think that they've sunk so much money into it that they're trying to get the max from this season that they can to recoup that. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I th that makes sense, but it doesn't explain why they would air a COVID special in the middle of the season. Mm. And does explain that which is i think that they are milking this season for literally as long as humanly possible to try their best to have some type of a live finale oh well that also makes sense because oh my god you know if you, how are you gonna i don't really people don't really want to have the whole like zoom finale like they did last season um for season 12 so People love the lip sync for your life or lip sync off. They love that or lip sync for the crown. They love that so much. People like, you know, they want to have the Queens be on a stage with cheering people, even if it's like, you know, a fourth of the capacity of that theater or whatever, mm -hmm. it only there's another thing that might happen. Um, and I think that that's something that they could have, especially now they could have that what, where we're at in the season. They could do what the Super Bowl did and offer tickets to vaccinated frontline essential workers and have yeah. that be the whole audience. Which or I thought crew, which would be cool. Oh yeah. yeah. Of course. You know, okay. Sure. What are you, could you tell me some highlights, lowlights? I want and also I want to know your top three. Okay, great. Um, top three or top four? I'm gonna say top three. If you want to add, you know, your fourth, go ahead. Okay. Uh, okay. So the, the reason I, one of the reasons I love drag race so much is, well, I just, I only watch things that are either straight up gay or gay adjacent in my life. I don't got no time for uh, straight shows. I don't give a fuck about watching straight people do stuff. I see them all the time in the world. Um, I only want to watch gay people make gay shows, um, which is why I love drag race, why I loved Veneno, why I loved it's a sin. Like there's lots of things that I'm loving on TV right now. Lots of gay content, highly recommend. Um, but my highlights are the cast. I think the cast for this season is really good. I'm really loving the testimonials. I am, I'm really loving uh, having this rotating three judges 
of T.S. Madison, Lonnie Love, and um, Nicole Byer. Mm-hmm. I like, yes, it's only, it's only the three of those, those ladies all the whole time. So I like having them. Um, and I think the cast is really, really making me stay engaged with U.S. Um, and then basically my critique is I hated the beginning of the season. Oh, I hated that so much. Me too. Unnecessary, unnecessary suffering happened at the beginning of this season. I mean, it was just really harsh on the, on the Queens, like super harsh on the Queens. And uh, it created this weird dynamic in the workroom I didn't like. One of my favorite things of all time of Drag Race is the first episode where you watch each queen come in and then see the reaction and see like if people know each other as they see like, oh my gosh, you're also on the cast or who I know about you or oh, I follow you on the socials or whatever. Like, I like seeing that. I think it's really cool. It's one of my favorite parts. But this uh, season, having them just come in two at a time and lip sync and then having the first episode become four literal episodes, I thought was just so, I mean, it was episode four before someone went home. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Well, I was ready for Elliot with two T's to go home. The first minute I saw that outfit walk through the door of the workroom. Yeah, not my fave. Oh my God. A weird mall pantsuit. And that wig, all these fresh out of the bag wigs on Elliot with two T's. I just, I know. I, I mean, I, I, that, that entrance look, I probably would have worn that entrance look, but I'm also, I'm not on drag race. Also. No, you would have worn that on just like a day, like a day in the garden. That's right. You wouldn't have worn that on the biggest drag stage of your life. No, I would not. No, I would not. I love, I'm loving the looks. I'm loving the acting challenges and the, um, the improv more this year than other years because I think there's a lot of people who are kind of killing it and it's fun to watch them do their thing mm-hmm. and yeah uh my top three mm-hmm. might be a little controversial okay go ahead we don't mind we don't shy from controversy on this show through our Simone of course yeah let's be real Simone yeah um <laughs> uh, po- uh I'm gonna say got Mick on this one I think okay. got go all the way to the finals yeah and rosé that's my top three too that's my exact top three simone got mick rosé who's gonna win i think either simone or rosé probably simone i think simone's gonna take the crown i can't believe she wasn't in the top this week remember Uh, her damn outfit on the runway okay her uh, let me tell you her runway was the best runway but I didn't think that her snatch was as good. I really liked her Harriet Tubman snatch game. I couldn't believe she breathed that comedic life into Harriet Tubman. Uh, agreed, agreed, agreed. The physical comedy of her under the desk. Okay, I loved that. I really, I did love that. But I think when you were up against a Rosé, a Gottmik, I mean, I think that's just like, I think that those two were just much stronger. They were able to do the volleying a little more effortlessly mm. than Simone. I think when Simone had her time to shine, she was in it and doing it. It was really funny, but there wasn't as much volley and like quickness. Mm-hmm. And I thought that both Rose and Gottmik really were, they were on it. They know how to banter. Um, will you describe Simone's outfit on the runway? Category oh, was so- Fascinators. Fascinators. Uh, it, it was a giant fascinator. It was like kind of a beautiful, it was, she was wearing all white from the front. 
it had kind of like a like a I would say like a Lady Gaga Pope kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, had like these really sort of like um, bony, cool, pointy hips and a beautiful kind of cascading all white fascinator. And then from the back, the back of her fascinator said, "Say their names." And then um, on the dress itself, it had two rhinestoned bullet holes. And as she walked back um, to do the go backstage, she put her hands up as like a hands up, don't shoot um, message. And I thought what she said about her look and, uh, you know, her saying, um, you know, black people who have been killed by police and in, uh, in homage to them was really important. I thought that when I saw that, I was like, this is the winning look. Oh, this is, she's got this in the bag. I couldn't, well, I, you know what? I couldn't believe she wasn't even in the top three. She was just safe. Right. I think they really. Denali's outfit, Denali's costume store, waitress outfit. I don't understand. She went off like the cuckoo bus with that, with me, with that. She lost me there. I did not understand. Like her fascinator was just like, to me, it was just dumb. It was like a a waitress coffee pot with like plastic coffee going under her head. But it was like, she worked at Universal Studios in the diner, like on rollerblades, who cares? I think that what we have to remember is for, for challenges like Snatch Game, there's a few challenges that are like this and Snatch Game is probably the most important one. How you do in the challenge decides the order and the runway can make or break a tie. It's not mm-hmm. gonna put the judges into, into your Snatch Game being any better. Oh my God, we are sports commentators, okay. Here's my bottom, my bottom of all time that makes me, I want to dig this out of my brain, this vision of Tina Burner. I am so over her. I was born. I came out of the womb over her. I understand she's funny in New York. I understand she's funny on stage. This ketchup mustard, Ronald McDonald vibe that she's got going on. Her damn Mardi Gras thing with the boobs cut out. Please give me some kind of like, I don't know what I need. I need a lobotomy. I don't want to, I don't understand. You know what I think? I think that she dated Graham Norton, who's a frequent guest and famous person in the UK, and that he made some back alley deal with RuPaul to say, you let my dear sweet ex, the very talented Tina Burner, stay on that show for this many episodes, and I will continue to be your guest judge. And if you don't, I'm out. This is what I think happened, because there's no way that Mardi Gras look got her through. There's no way. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a Tina fan. I do believe, and I have heard many a folk say that in New York at Tina's shows, she's killing it. She's amazing. She's hilarious. She's like really enjoyable. And there, a lot of them are like, I don't know what's going on with her on TV. So I think it's one of those things where she's on TV and now it's a little bit of a freak out. And that happens to a lot of people when they go on TV on Drag Race. But I do think that um, she's, it's hard, it's really hard to root for her because I don't really, I, I just like, I, I'm not invested in her at all. In fact, I find her quite annoying. I find her runways annoying, but I did find <laughs> that, um, a lot of her runways were made by someone who in the middle of kind of making this or in the process of making this, they had a medical emergency. Mm. So the designer had other people kind of execute their designs and um so a lot of things that might have been kind of lost in translation that's not like a excuse necessarily but it's just something to kind of like kind of you know think about i think that might explain some things why like in one of the first runways like got mick and candy were sewing on a train Mm. you know kind of like finagling things or trying to help like things kind of come along 
I don't know. There's just people kind of like kind of higgledy piggledy a little bit, but I think that, um, I think that I would like Tina to go home, but I don't think she will for a little bit. Brandy, I swear to God. Those runways are atrocious. That weird gesture thing is like, of it's like a fucking nightmare clown. I hated it. I want to know why we're not seeing Michelle, Michelle Visage eviscerate her. Yeah, There's- I'm looking forward to that evisceration. I don't know why they're, they're actually like, I feel like they're all on Ambien a little bit for the judging for US and in the UK, they're on like steroids because they yeah. are like ripping them new ones every fucking episode. Well, we'll so, get to that in a second. Right, exactly. But like, how is Michelle not yelling at Tina that she's a one note? Like, remember, Michelle gets mad at people for wearing the color green. She doesn't say like, Tina, why don't you quit with the ketchup and mustard thing, man? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like there's some sort of like, I, I don't they must have some sort of temporary amnesia because if I see a fucking red yellow uh you know orange color story again i like i'm just poke my eyes out i want to so it makes her outfit green and not red (laughs) she has made me feel triggered by seeing red red curvy way red red uh wavy wigs like i saw somebody on drag race uk wearing a red wig and i was like no it's hideous and i was like wait it's not hideous i'm just so used to tina burner wearing that with like a damn taxi cab hat or like a Anyway, I maybe I, if there's Tina Burner fans, I am surprised because I just I do I feel like you know and I watch the Drag Race recap episodes with different people and I just I can't find any queens that are like you know they all say Tina Burner great in New York this runway woof right agreed would you rather be stuck in an elevator with Elliot with two T's or Candy Muse the elevator oh, is God. stuck Candy a million times over <laughs> I saw a TikTok that was like. What's one, this might be fucked up. This is one thing that, that, what's one thing that's homophobic and gay at the same time? And they were like, Elliot with two T's. <laughs> it's true. I don't, I, I think actually, I mean, I have a lot of empathy for Elliot because she has mental health struggles and has talked about that on the show and I get it and that's harsh. But, you know, I think there's also some things that kind of came out around the airing about her microaggressions towards the Queens of color and mm-hmm. like, mm, nobody has time for that, sorry. I'm real sorry that that's that's the way you want to play that but it's not great not a good look not a good look i i actually like candy muse i think she's funny she reminds me of a friend that i have i think i like her fast talk i'm a fast talker i like her fast talking i think she'd be a real cut up in the in the elevator and we would probably laugh our asses off i would much rather be with her in the elevator than elliot yeah also think we could try to like she might actually help me get out of there i think that she's loud she could oh, yell. so loud she could yell for help somebody might be able to hear her i want you to know two things well first thing i want to know is do you think that you could have done a better blanche Devereux impression than elliot with two t's during the snatch game well i mean i think most people probably could have you could have been like oh he reminds me of big daddy like there's just so much just basic Basic Rue McClanahan, basic Blanche Devereaux. It's true. Uh, the fact that she didn't have like a fan or a squirt bottle or <laughs> didn't anything that she was like having a hot flash because of her desire was, yeah. was, it was just, it was a real stinker. Two thumbs down. I feel like really. all she knew was that Blanche loved men. But not even what type of men. She just said men, gentlemen, men, men. I feel like she didn't say anything but the word man the whole time. No. You know who would have done a good Sophia Patrillo on the Snatch Game? 
right here. Okay. Yes. Or, or go Bobby Hill. There's my purse. I don't know you. <laughs> Just a bald cap and a little like blue t-shirt. Yeah, I was hard to watch. I mean, you know, I watch Drag Race with Lou my loving spouse and Lou has to literally put their, put a pillow over their face because they get so uncomfortable when people are just bombing and like the rattlesnake noise happens. And like the embarrassment is like too much. I have a conspiracy theory, which is that Tamisha Iman was not done with her drag race career. But I think that because she came there with significant health issues that she just realized partway through, I think she had a talk with the producers and she was like, Hey, I'm doing this with an ostomy bag. And for X, Y, Z reason, I actually physically cannot keep up with this right now without greatly injury, you know, uh, without creating injury to myself. So I need to have a graceful departure. And so I think they set up that lip sync with her and Candy to just resolve their storyline and give her her adieu. And we will see her again on All-Stars. I agree, concur a hundred percent. I think that she needs to be commended for being there, being a, being also an older queen. Um, they're also having to, I mean, having to do like those disco moves, kicks and flips um, with a colonoscopy bag is like, is next level. And I really feel like uh, I wish her much health and wellness in the future. Can't wait to see her on All Stars. Me too. I have a brief aside before we get to UK, but there's kind of this narrative where people are like, wow, that person was so strong. I didn't even know they were sick. It's okay to say you're sick. It's okay to not be a soldier. It's okay to not hunker through something. People are like, Chadwick Boseman had colon cancer. Well, gosh, he never told anybody. Isn't that great? And I'm just like, I wish that he would have had the opportunity to be vulnerable and be like, I'm ill and I'm in pain and I'm afraid. And I want to share that with people. That's all. Yeah, I mean, I feel like for me, like claiming, like claiming that like, I have, I have a chronic illness and these are my limitations and getting okay with knowing how much energy I have in the day, how many spoons or whatever you want to call it that I have to sort of like do my normal projects or do my normal life and then how much I have to give to my relationships or whatever it is in the day has been really helpful. And it's helping me kind of like, ha it's not, it's not really about control, but it helps me kind of like work with what's going on that I can't control in a way that helps me feel a little bit more empowered. So it's not like something's just happening to me that I don't have any agency over. I'm able to be like, okay, well, if these are my boundaries, like how can I have some agency within this boundary around illness? And I think that's really important for anyone really um, dealing with a chronic illness. And also there's not one right way to deal with chronic illness. Some people like, it's just, it's runs the gamut. And I'm sure that somebody like Tamisha who has worked her fucking ass off for literally 30 years doing drag and knows that this is her chance to be on this platform. She would probably dance her little, her little heart out for as long as humanly possible. And I'm really glad that she was able to have like the type of exit that you would normally have on Drag Race, the way that maybe like had this sort of like big, um, juicy, dramatic like thing happen that gets people talking about her more and supporting her like via merch and shows and things like that. And hopefully we'll see her again.
The world is waiting for you. And it's a game-mazing world. I'm Karen Tongson. And I'm Nicole J. Georges. And we're the hosts of The Game-Mazing Race, a new limited series podcast about The Amazing Race, your favorite reality competition show from an LGBTQ point of view. We are going to talk to game-mazing guests, including Oswald Mendez, Team Guido, the married lesbian ministers, and more. Plus... We will learn behind-the-scenes gossip, trivia, we'll talk about gay villains, the closet, archetypes, processing challenges that we just can't forget, and more. And beyond that, you'll also have a gay-mazing soundtrack scored by the Kaya Wilson. This music has been described as Enya-esque with druidic energy. So listen to us, the gay-mazing race, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Brandy, we need to talk about the reason for the season, the much the much better show. It's called Drag Race UK. We need to talk about why Drag Race UK is better and then what happened in the middle of filming. What happened? Yes. Well, Drag Race UK, is, we're, we're talking about season two, but season one, also the same things go for season one. You know what? Overall, I think it's better because the queens just like they just seem more themselves they mm-hmm. don't, they're not producing themselves in the same way that they are in the u.s um and they're just the culture around drag in the uk is so is so different than it is here in the u.s and it leads it to be you actually are having a lot more fun you're having more real moments and you have people who are not taking themselves too seriously. And I want to watch the fuck out of that. Everybody also there, and you maybe can put a better pin on this than I can, but the fashion in the UK is way more experimental, avant-garde, punk, weird. Like everyone's a weirdo. And in the way you're saying, like in an unselfconscious way. They are just weirdos who are as weird as they can fucking weird be. And like the fashion culture and the beauty culture of the UK, while there are a lot of similarities to the US, it always is going to have more of like a sort of like, you know, rebellious, like independent, like kind of in your face vibe that the that America just doesn't quite have. And so what you get are queens that are a bit more um, creative and in your face and also like willing to act stupid and not really, you know, um, not really care how they come across, just really have a lot of fun in the process. I don't know if you've heard, the songs are also a lot better. Oh, well, that's because they have MNEK. Who's that? MNEK who did uh, season one song, Break Up Bye Bye, and this season's- Bang Bang Bong. UK, hun. They're an amazing producer and they were a judge on that same um, episode, but they're an amazing producer. And like, that's the person who's writing those songs. The person who writes the songs for the U.S. is like RuPaul's producer sometimes. There's been kind of a rotating list, like Lucian, so I believe there's a new person this time. I can't remember what that person's name was actually from from the episode where they all did the song. I got to tell you, the songs on U.S. Drag Race, this is something no one talks about, the music is the worst music I've ever heard in my whole life. Yeah, but they are, they are earworms though. Let's be real. 
Well, the UK ones are earworms to me. The UK ones I would actually listen to over and over again. The US ones, I always, I'm I'm Lou with the pillow over my face whenever they are doing a musical number in the US. I'm like, oh my God. Oh, and RuPaul's like, this is my new track. Oh, those get in my head too. I'm still seeing Kindragulations in my head, but I'm also singing UK Hun as well. Mm. So it's just, I mean, being honest, that's a, that's a very special, like, this is going to be in your brain for the rest of like, I'm going to have dementia when I'm 88 years old and I'm going to remember the fucking lyrics to Bimini's verse of UK hunt. Will you do it right now? I'm not, I'm no singer here, people. I'm just going to okay. do Okay. Okay. Let me think about this. Uh, it goes, unleash the beast, Bimini. Get a pillow for these queens because they sleep on me. Gender bender, system offender. I like it rough, but my lentil's tender. <laughs> I also like my lentils tender and from watching Chopped recently that really means something because a lot of people will start trying to cook lentils in a 20 minute round and then serve them quote al dente which is not a thing. No, it also hurts my stomach so. Of course, I mean all the judges are like, huh? <laughs> when they're eating those al dente lentils. <laughs> oh my god, that was beautiful verse. Bing bang bong, sing sing song, bing bang bong. UK. K hun. Um, all right, what was your top three of Drag Race UK? Well, I, I think, guess we're at top four right now. Yeah, we're top four right now. I mean, you, I could just say the winner. But Who's I, the yeah, winner? I, I do think the winner is Lawrence Chaney, I will say. Even though, you know, I have a special thing for Bimini that I can't quite explain. I love Bimini so much. And there's this thing where, you know, I'm a middle-aged dyke and I feel like I, I wish that I, that Bimini was my child. That's how I feel about Bimini. I wish Bimini was me. I think they're so cute in their little fucking non-binary mullet. I think they're adorable. I love what they have to say. They're funny as shit. They're super fashionable. And I want to be like, that's my kid. This is like, this is the, the aging tipping point where you're like, that's me. That's my kid. Yeah. I'm at, I'm at that moment with Bimini. Cause I'm just like, wow. Anyway. And also the UK's COVID special was so much better because we got to see Bimini who entertained themselves by going and buying a chair and then doing the, doing headstands on it, which I thought was very funny, which we got to enjoy once they, once they came back from COVID. So what happened with Drag Race UK? They started, it was terrific it was amazing and then all of a sudden COVID happened they stopped filming everyone went home for seven months ellie diamond went back to her job working at like a mcdonald's mm -hmm. some like taste had to move out of their home and move in with ahara and they were there like some some of them victoria veronica what's her name Veronica. Mm -hmm. Veronica had a complete mental health crisis and was just like, couldn't get out of bed, was very depressed. I mean, you got to see the reality of what happened to all of us, but you got to see it through the Queens of Drag Race UK. And it was seven months before they came back. And then they had to come back, do their hair the same, wear the same outfits in the confessional so that the show could have continuity. So the show could continue to cut up their confessional bits and put them wherever they wanted them to. And they came back and um, gosh, yeah. Tia yeah, coffee it, by the end, it was time for her to go for me. Oh yeah. I, I actually really like Tia coffee as a person. I found her to be really enjoyable and I actually really like, I think that like, I'd want to hang out with Tia coffee. They're really oh, yeah. funny. 
but I also, but I don't think that they were, they're not drag royalty at this time, maybe in the future, but they, they're, they were over their head on the show. I think bring Tia coffee back in a couple years with some more resources. Tia coffee's going to slay. Yeah. And you know, I think that like, because they did the split, which is very, very interesting. They did the split, you know, of the season that in those seven months they filmed Drag Race US also. So that mm -hmm. was the, the Oreo sandwich. Um, and I think that like, you know, I think if, if all the Queens didn't come back with like their like mega a game after knowing that you're going to go back to drag race, but having seven months to do so, I understand, obviously we're all like doing the best that we can during the pandemic, but like thinking that like you have the opportunity to, to really like go back and show whatever you wanted and you got to bring new outfits, which I thought was kind of uh, actually kind of unfair. You got to bring new outfits of whatever you wanted, which ended up being a drama. But I mean, I feel like if you could just sit home and just rhinestone your fucking little hands off. That's what I would be doing. Yeah. Me? Yeah. Um, what else would you say about UK? Okay, so top three. I, yeah, I think the top two is going to be Lawrence Cheney and Bimini. And then obviously Tace because Ellie Diamond shouldn't even still be there. Ellie should definitely go home. Ellie's I, a one note to me. I don't understand what she's still doing there. Yeah, my top three originally was Ahura. Um, and Lawrence and Bimini, but now we're here. And I believe Lawrence will take it because RuPaul likes Lawrence and RuPaul picks the winner. Yeah. And Lawrence will have to bomb the fuck, like horribly bomb the, the last, you know, couple episodes. It was you that turned me on to Bob the Drag Queen's purse first impressions about Drag Race UK. And I can't remember if it's there that I heard this or somewhere else, but basically they were saying like, you know, during those seven months, it was like Bimini went home and like learned the splits, learned her dance moves, did all this stuff. And then Lawrence went home and was like in her head, spinning out, just depressed at her house. And then they came and now Lawrence is kind of cracking up a little bit while Bimini is rising and becoming her true competition. Definitely hundred percent. And I would be overjoyed if Bimini won. And I think if the way that it's going, if the way that it has been going the past like couple weeks continues, Bimini's our winner. But I do think that uh, RuPaul really likes Lawrence. So you, Lawrence would have to really just tank down the toilet to, you know, pass yeah. to by RuPaul. I want to tell you the thing that I felt like was the most British thing I've ever heard in my life from Tace, which was Tace saying, I'm going to take your shitty drag, put it in the bin, you absolute hounds. <laughs> and and don't forget about the cheek, the nerve, the gall, the audacity, and the gumption. Taste, you know, like our my Welsh accent. Oh no! I mean, here's the thing too: is some of these people, if they had American accents, they might be significantly more annoying. Like Ahora, if she did not have an accent that to me was like so thrilling, I might find her even more like deeply annoying. But since she had, there's something about her that's so charming because of her accent. And also they all have different accents from each other, but ask the Americans if, if we care, like when they're like, oh gosh, I can't understand her. And I'm like, I, I love it. Yeah. I love it so much. I, I, I really liked Ahura. I really wish that she was in the, she was in the top. She was one I, of my, I, I think I would have liked her with whatever accent. I like looking at her. I think she's funny. She's shady. She's great TV. I thought she had cool looks. 
I liked her all around. I understand that production wanted Ahura and Taste to go up against each other because they were rumored to have been lovers, which I think was a fabrication. But I think that this should have been Ellie Diamond and Ahura going against each other and that Ahura should have won and Ellie Diamond should have gone home. Agreed. I do know what Ahura said about her grandma that didn't make it on the air. Ooh, spill the tea. There's a comedy routine. Ahura says, you know, all this pleasant stuff about her grandma says, there's something me and my grand have in common and it gets bleeped out and you wonder why. And she said, we both have huge assholes. It got bleeped out, Ahura said, because her grandma found out about the joke when she got home from Drag Race and called the producers and said she would sue if they didn't bleep it out. Oh my gosh. Her nan. So she, she said her, oh, sorry. Her nan has a huge arsehole. Arse. <laughs> I mean, you know, <clears throat> what are you going to do? If I was, if I, I, I wouldn't want my child Bimini talking about my asshole on national tv but i also if it would have get if it would have got her a hundred thousand dollars i wouldn't care if she just gets a repeater badge uh, oh this is the other difference between drag race uk in america is instead of like ten thousand or five thousand dollar tips for winning they get a damn button because apparently they're not allowed to give cash prizes on the bbc um or don't maybe that's just the the game show rules of the uk and so they keep getting these buttons called a repeater badge and then they come and they're like you ain't got no buttons that yet. You're not getting a badge. <laughs> Brandy, I had a dream that you and I were both on Drag Race US, unfortunately. And it was the reading challenge. And I was looking around for a white shirt, obsessed with trying to find a white shirt because I was going to get a Sharpie and write no fat jokes on the white shirt and wear that for the reading challenge. Me? Huh? <laughs> no. Let me. I just, I, I guess in my subconscious, I was like, there's always some fucking fat jokes at the reading challenge and it's unnecessary. I also wish that I had brought some wigs with me. I was like, all I had for the, was my closet, was my home closet, which, you know, anyway, that was my dream I had. No, you were a little bit more of a Ginny Lemon kind of character. Oh, I can see that. She's middle-aged like me, so I'm into it. Ginny Lemon has a boyfriend and a husband, which I think is really cool. Also, Ginny Lemon wears Crocs just like me. I got the same exact Crocs on literally as we speak. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Panyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time.